0: Well, the biggest mistake is probably that they don't, right? I mean, I, of, of our five senses, all of them are are designed for the here and now. You know, whether it's our hunger, our thirst, our feeling, our sensitive, our sensations, our hearing, uh, so it's just very difficult to 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 realize that things might be different and stranger in the future.
1: Why is business actually a kind of laziness? And have we lost our pioneering spirit? How do millennials act on a home party with Justin Bieber without any phone? And finally, why is it so important to be able to say no? These are only a few of the things we cover in today's episode, so please stay and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Change. And today we are talking to Magnus Lindquist, who is a trend-spotting futurologist and author who weaves together important current trends to forecast what life, society, and business might look like in the future. He has given an excess of a thousand keynote speeches over the past decade to everyone from fortune 500 ceos and civil servants in the middle east to basically anyone looking to be inspired and enlightened by spotting in future thinking as a writer magnus is driven by a relentless curiosity about our mental space where the outside world collides with the human brain his recent book manifesto which was released in 2016 tells us why small ideas matter in a world of grand narratives. He has won several awards for his performances on stage and for his books, but perhaps the best acclaim ever given was from an HR director in the UK, who said, Magnus Lindqvist is the best Swedish export since ABBA and meatballs. Well, I had the honor of meeting with Magnus and hearing him speak at the H&M's Changemakers Lab in Stockholm early April this year. And it's with pleasure I am today introducing him as a guest on Hate Change. So, Magnus, welcome on board.
0: Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine.
1: Well, uh, is there anything you'd like to add to that intro or like something about your personalities and what you're truly passionate about?
0: Um. I wouldn't want to add to that lengthy intro, but um, I was inspired when I met you at Hey Change and you told me about the business idea that you are working on. I don't know if it's a secret, so I'm not going to disclose it, but it inspired me.
1: It's not a secret. It's okay. You, you're talking about Sustainable the Sustainable
0: model... models. Yeah. yeah. Sustainable models and models who stand for something and not just a pretty face. I thought that was highly topical and brave and inspiring.
1: Thank you so much. Hopefully, it's going to kick off, so I'm I'm believing in the idea. Um, And this is also a question that I ask all people that I interview, just so you can really get to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So, if you were a Spice, which one would you be and why?
0: Oh, a Spice. Um, What would I be? That's a really difficult question. I probably should have thought this through. (laughs) So, I, I would probably be the Old Spice cologne. Because um, mm. it was the first cologne that I ever bought. I think I was about 13, living in the United Kingdom, and they had a really funky advertisement where a guy was surfing, and he and he and he, and he was I think he surfed into a bar, if I don't recall, and then it was like in slow motion, of course, and then it was like <laughs> a, a Old Spice something something. Okay. So that's that's who I would be. I I identify with that.
1: Okay. Is it the old or the spice part of old spice you identify with? Uh, maybe
0: both. I'm just maybe kidding. <laughs> all right. I'm
1: just going to go. I'm not going to go too deep into it. Um, all right. So you're calling yourself a futurologist. Like what does that even mean?
0: Great question. So I can only answer why I call myself a futurologist. It is one of those job titles that is ready for anyone who can find a natural fit in the business world so I started in management consulting like many of my peers at business school and then I went through to the advertising and I I just hated being employed I thought it I thought it was awful so um, in 2003 I started doing trend spotting workshops for friends and acquaintances and former clients for free so I didn't make any money and I noticed that there was this thirst for trends and what's going on in the world and perspectives. Uh, this was also the, the early days of blogging and, and uh, I think the podcast movement started shortly thereafter. Um, and then I noticed that people were also interested, okay, so this is what's happening, but where, where what's it pointing to, where's this heading? And I started calling myself a futurist but futurists were a kind of art movement in Italy in the early 20th century that has been associated with fascism. So I thought it was a pretty poor job title. (laughs) Then I found um, a former employee of British Telecom called Ian Pearson, who had coined the concept of being a futurologist. And, oh, if you wonder what the noise is, because you asked me to be in a quiet spot, I, of course, picked Starbucks in the center of Stockholm. I was Stockholm. thinking, like, are
1: you sitting in a coffee shop or something? Cause it, yeah, because it in a modern,
0: like I, 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 I see myself as a modern, you know, knowledge worker. So, of course, Starbucks is my office. I'm You're sorry about You're thinking quiet that.
1: spot in Sweden, Starbucks, yeah, obviously. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah,
0: Starbucks. That, yeah, wouldn't that be great? I'm sorry, we'll see. We, we, it's okay, we'll it'll stop. work out. So, so, futurology, ology, of course, the, the art of or the the knowledge base of... So this is really the idea of what future thinking entails. I'm not so much into prediction. I'm more interested in how we think about the future, what traps we fall into, and what are some of the tricks and tools we can use to get better at it. Cool. That's what a futurologist is. That that's a long answer. I'm sorry.
1: No, so but but just to get this right, did you make this term up yourself?
0: No, I stole it from Ian Pearson. Okay, because I was like either way that's
1: awesome okay
0: yeah oh thank you well i thank them for it
1: okay so that's one
0: good. of my one of my concepts is D, rip off and duplicates that's, that's always the best way of getting ahead
1: definitely just that's the way to mm. do it um mm. and like one of the reasons i really loved listening to you so much and like i just to share with all the other guys mm. i was sitting there listening to a speech and i was just smiling the entire time because it was just awesome but anyways you talked about the future in terms of something that isn't set and that can't be planned for but rather something that is like beautifully unpredictable and why do you Mm. think it's important to look at the future that way
0: so i'm trying to find uh oh oh they have a hidden sponsor in starbucks (laughs) oh this is great this is turning into an
1: adventure i like it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's gonna be much more quiet here i think um oh sorry what was the question
1: so yeah yeah, you (laughs) Like how you talked about future as being something that isn't set and you can't be planned for, but something rather unpredictable and that you should be looking at the future that way.
0: So we have a tendency to see the future as a place, as a set narrative, and we get that kind of deer in the headlights moment where Mm. we believe it's it's destiny. Uh, Especially pronounced, I'd say, in the past couple of years with, with... you know, if you look at digitalization, which should be a cause for excitement, it's turned into this robots are going to steal our jobs. Silicon Valley getting rich uh, while everybody else is getting poorer. You know, It was like a set narrative. Similarly, we have these big ideas right now about the rise of China and the rise of populism and the fall of the West and liberal democracy. So we, we have a, a natural tendency to gravitate towards these set narratives, which is why I believe it's important to fight for the right to create your own future, mm. no matter who you are and where you are in the world. Um, my latest book that you talked about in the intro, Manifesto, is all about looking at these very personal moments. You know, somebody like Melitta Bentz who was just a, she was a housewife in Germany who was frustrated with the quality or lack of of her coffee. And she ended up inventing the Melitta coffee filter by just piercing her son's drawing paper Mm -hmm. to draw some of the lumps of coffee out. So you have this very personal moment, personal frustration, a moment of creation and inspiration. And it ends up being this global product, but it didn't come from these huge ideas or or politicians screaming into our ears what's important or, uh, you know, this this uh, uh, huge movement on Facebook. So uh, that's why I talk about to future instead of the future, seeing the future as a verb, not a noun.
1: Okay, so like I'm just trying to grasp it. So you're saying mm. that sometimes people look at the future from out of fear and thinking that like we are as a big unit moving into something that's just going to be worse and worse, but it's important to look at a different line of future that is like where you can create your own
0: reality. So my, my belief is that fear is the kind of default setting of the brain unless you do some thinking, mm. but thinking is actually pretty tough. I mean, being rational or looking empirically or thinking long-term; these are difficult tasks. So it's always better for the for the brain to have this kind of fear mode, so you can just kind of escape or dislike or judge, and that's the easy part. I mean, it's it's phenomenally easy to feel something, uh, to judge someone, and to just go, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm too afraid. So so again, it takes an effort to move beyond that stage. Uh, I usually talk about the prison of the present, which is this, we're, we're locked into what's what's possible right now, what we can do with our current tools. And there's a tendency, of course, to believe that that's, that's our future, that's our destiny. We'll never, we're going to run out of oil, we're never going to conquer other planets, we're never going to and uh, be able to feed everyone and time and time again history has proven it wrong at this or at least the last 150 years has proven it wrong Showing how we can overcome and break out of the prison of the present
1: Right, so like what do you think is then the biggest mistake people are doing today when trying to prepare for the future and looking at the future?
0: Well, the biggest mistake is probably that they don't right, I mean I, of, of our five senses all of them are are designed for the here and now, you know, whether it 's our hunger, our thirst, our feeling, our sensitive our sensations, our hearing uh, so it 's just very difficult to 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 realize that things might be different and stranger in the future. I remember reading um, Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert, a Harvard professor. It was about ten years ago. And he said, he used a statistic, he said that on average, we think about the future 12% of our time. So that's like an hour of every eight hour working mm-hmm. day. Meaning that of course, the rest of the time, we're just reacting, reacting to emails, uh, headlines, meetings, and other stimuli. Right. So again, the biggest mistake that people do regarding future thinking is that they just don't do it. They just don't think about it. When I work with top executives, who say, oh, great speech, what should we do? I say, budget time for nothing. Budget time, I mean, literally block an hour out of your calendar every day if you're a top executive, possibly. Uh, maybe every week if you're more of a middle manager. But, but I mean, the ideal would be at one day, one hour every day, you have an hour of nothingness where you reflect, you think, you you rise above the here and now.
1: It's it's really interesting that you're talking about this because I was just listening to another podcast yesterday, um, and this guy was talking about how we're being hijacked all the time from our social media and our you know smartphones and stuff, and we mm. if we keep letting ourselves being hijacked, like we are like giving away our time and energy and focus to other people, so mm. it's, like you're saying, it's so important to like realize that we, if we want to create our own future, we really need to get to action right now and every day, you know. Just map out that window of an hour to like, okay, what's happening right now? How can I make it better for tomorrow? Um, hmm. cause it I hard. would.
0: I think it's a great word, uh, hijacked. I would. I would go one step further and say, busyness is actually a kind of laziness. Hmm. Uh, and this is counterintuitive because people believe if they're busy, a lot of meetings, a lot of emails, I'm an important person, but it really shields you from having to think about what really matters and deal with the things you really want to get around to. And if you fill your calendar with other people's agendas, which is what I believe this other podcast was referencing, being hijacked. Right. Can you come to this meeting? Can you meet with me? Can we do this? Can we do this? You know, when, when are you going to have time for whatever your goal might be, whatever your idea or how are you even going to find it? I mean, I, I, There's a great um, speech from the RSA in London. I believe the gentleman's name was Kevin Rowland Smith. I'm wrong about one of those last things, but never mind. This was about two years ago, and he talked about the fact that we keep ourselves so topped off with ideas all the time, so there's really no room for new ideas. Um, I mean, we, we might have too much focus on the importance of having ideas, getting ideas, having many ideas. And I believe it might be the opposite, this this at least nothingness or this slack space in your brain as a place where the future is made.
1: And I think like you said before, I think that's what actually scares people. Like we we don't have the courage to take in just no time. And that's Mm. where the the true well I like to say magic happens because that's when, you know, you get in touch with your inner thoughts and Mm. The part that really knows what he's supposed to do, but we keep like putting this noise on top of it and just keep being busy all the time. So we're actually heading nowhere. So that's,
0: a, that's that's a and it's scary. And mm-hmm. It's scary, right? I mean, I, I had a, I had a strategy change. I used to do somewhere in the vicinity of hundred and fifty keynote talks per year, meaning that I was, you know, a true road warrior, always on a plane, my wife and children constantly uh, frustrated by the lack of FaceTime with her husband and father and so on. And then three years ago, I did a strategy change, which was I started, or I actually I hired someone who could say no, because I really can't. So I, in essence, halved, I mean, cut in half my workload. And that sounds great, but it's actually, you know, tremendously anxiety inducing, it's frightening, it's frustrating because there's so much more time to feel and think right. and uh, I think, I don't know if it's true but there was supposedly some lab experiment where people ra- would rather get an electric shock than being alone with their thoughts wow. and n- never mind if it's scientifically based or just a sound bite I, th- I think there's a ring to that People would rather um, be um, electrically shocked and probably many other things than being alone with their thoughts. Let me give you a funny example of this. Um, A friend of mine's daughter um, has been an exchange student in California over the past year. And for some strange reason, she found herself at a house party of Justin Bieber, in Los wow. Angeles <laughs> where where you were not allowed to bring your cell phone in because they don't want any selfies or embarrassing photos or anything online. So all these millennials had to leave their cell phone at the door, which just made them incredibly awkward because of course, when normally when we're awkward and we don't wanna deal with stuff, we we'd zo- we'd zoom out into our mobile phone. That's mm-hmm. what we do in public transport. Uh, that's what we do in coffee shops or in airports, and when you're not allowed to have it. so i i I just picture this scene so many times you have like probably this rowdy uh, Party hungry Justin Bieber and and all these millennials standing around not really knowing what to do.
1: Right, (laughs) awkwardly like, what am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed Mm. to like behave myself? Yeah,
0: exactly. So, I think that's
1: so interesting. Like, this is a little bit off topic, but what you're saying Mm. is that we're creating this world where our identity is through our mobile phones or whatever Mm. we use for device, Mm. and like we don't even know anymore how to behave without them. And, like, sometimes I I found myself not even being able to watch a movie. Like, I can't watch a movie from start to finish without looking at my phone. Mm Because I get get awkward. I'm like, I'm just by myself. But I need to, like, see if something happened. Or it's it's really good for you to just leave, like, take a day and just leave it behind and not take it with you. Because you need to practice just um, interacting with human beings again, I guess. And just being Mm. alone with your thoughts. Because... It's scary, but it's it's really good. Um, so I went
0: I went that. to see the new Wolverine movie, Logan. And after about 30 minutes, the projector broke down. And they had to restart the movie. And I just thought, the hell with it. And I went out to watch the com on my cell phone to find out that the movie was ending. So I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, we, we, are, we are usually optimistic where we shouldn't be and pessimistic where we shouldn't be. So... I've always said, oh, it really doesn't matter. You know, cell phones are great; we can use them for all these things. But then, of course, I read Nicholas Carr's book *The Shallows*, and he made that precise point that all of these—I think President Obama called it—weapons of mass distraction. Uh, they've they've turned us from being able to focus long term on like a dense book or a long movie. Into these fast thinkers who prefer hovering quickly between Instagram photo, email, half of an article, a snippet of a movie, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, whether this is good or bad, we can discuss. But it, it seems to be happening, and both you and I have um, ADD, of course, when it comes to movie watching.
1: Right.
0: But but then but then again, as a futurologist, I have to say, why are movies? Uh, somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes well this has to do with the length of film reels 50 and 100 years ago Mm. i mean there's really no point for a film in 2017 to stick to that format Um, why can't we have eight minute awesome spectacles in a cinema worth 30 bucks to pay for or why can't we have a you know, 24-hour ongoing movie experience. I mean, I've had insomnia over the past year. I blame my home mortgage for that. (laughs) So I've found all of these really cool, you know, 24 hours. So there's, there's one of 24 hours of just white noise on an airline. And there's another one where you have the noise being made in a space station as you're sleeping, watching the Earth. And then, of course, there are these supposed live feeds from satellites. I don't know if they're actual live feeds, but nevertheless, it's 24 hours of a satellite going around the Earth, capturing all these images. Um, And that's a movie as well. So I, I, I don't think we should berate ourselves too much from the inability of watching 120 minutes Quiet, without a cell phone.
1: Because you said like we have changed, and that's just like a natural flow transformation. And um, Mm. I just want to, when we're talking Mm. about like, because you said something too, like we are now used to having like all the information in our hands, and like Mm. uh, just being able to, if we need something, it's right there, and you don't have to wait for anything. But something you talked about in Stockholm, which I really liked, Mm. is you brought up this, I don't know who this adventurer, Mm. um, and like back in the days we were really eager to just try new things and experiment whereas today yeah. we are like that's dangerous um
0: yeah i brought up alfred nobel actually right. the inventor of dynamite and the fact that he uh, accidentally um blew up his braby brother in the 1800s uh and, and i kind of joked and i said we just don't do that anymore now we have risk managers i'm overdoing it a bit but i think there's some, um, and i'm not the only one by the way to make that mark but I think there's some kind of pioneering spirit which our grandparents or our great-grandparents had. It's just getting lost to us. It's even getting lost now in the the U.S. I I know uh, Tyler Cohen's new book, The Complacent Class, is all about how Americans are less willing to travel from work, Less willing to start new companies, tolerance of failure gone down, and so on. So, yeah, there there is a pioneering spirit. I don't know if it's been lost or if we need to reinvent a new kind of pioneering spirit. Um, but I I I think too often we we look at the world and see too many perfections. Right um and uh and, and being an optimist versus being a pessimist has like everything else turned into a kind of battle on social media where people whack each other over the head with statistics mm-hmm. um and i think uh, this is really not about whether you're an optimist or pessimist it's about realizing how little we know and you said that we have we now have all the information in our hands and i I actually just i don't think we do i just think that's a convenient opinion to have Mm, Like, oh isn't it great but but isn't it more interesting to think about what we don't know even though you have uh google and wikipedia uh, for free at the click or a swipe of a button um
1: I, sorry for interrupting. I just love Mm. it. I just want to pick up what you're saying because this is what my podcast is all about, is finding happiness in new realities. And Mm. I I really want... I love that
0: tagline. Thanks. That's Um, a great tagline.
1: (laughs) Because I think, like, we are so afraid of not being perfect, so we just kind of, like, follow the stream and do what everyone else is doing. And we're so afraid of, like, being different. But like you said, we need to, like, reinvent this spirit and mindset of trying new things and trying to be curious and, like, what is around the corner what if i do it this way instead and maybe that's even better and maybe instead of following the stream we can lead the stream so Mm -hmm. that's why I'm, i'm trying to inspire listeners uh you who's listening to just be more open to the fact that we can still learn more we can still do even better and it's not it's not dangerous to try and actually the trying part in itself is where we grow and learn so it's really important to sometimes just leave that phone behind and be like okay let's just try it Mm. let's see what happens Mm. so
0: finding happiness through new realities Mm. my um so one of the most interesting concepts that i've come across in my research is the idea of fitness landscapes It doesn't have anything to do with fitness or gyms it's it's about finding the right fit and thinking of it as a landscape so this means you might be on this plateau of happiness and happiness probably like everything else has this slow sinking feeling so to keep you on this happiness plateau you'll need to do new things but then over in the horizon you see a greater peak of happiness for some reason a different life a different idea a different different way of living but the path to go there goes through unhappiness or misery or just insecurity or because first you have to climb down from the plateau so imagine you're in the alps you climb up on one mountain you're there you see another mountain in the distance and then you have to climb down and go sideways mm. And I think that's what's so frightening to people because we want to avoid pain. So I think to find happiness through new realities, you first have to expose yourself to unhappiness and dissolution disill- and bewilderment in order to explore the greater peak. And th- this is very common for a lot of my friends who have, have gotten divorces or are thinking about it. Not all of them, but many have considered it. But then they're like, oh, my God, but, you know, won't I be lonely? What if I never meet someone? What if I lose all my money? What if, well, actually, my, my current spouse, isn't she or he great? Well, hold on. And they they have all these arguments to prevent them from exploring that chasm or exposing themselves for that chasm. And I think that's a big culprit. And I see something similar in how society deals with the future. We we know that we probably have to decarbonize the economy, but yeah. what if what if what if GDP growth collapses? What if what if trade, this thing that has made us wealthy, collapses? How are we going to live? So we we cling to the present, and we put all this red tape around it. Instead of just throwing ourselves out into that black hole, yeah. and I, I, I don't think you can do it too often. I think you you have time for once, twice, maybe three times in your life. Do that, do that journey between mountains. Mm. But um, I think it's I think it's what's needed to find find happiness in new realities.
1: Right. Well, I was gonna just wrap up with my final three i feel like mm. you kind of already touched upon my no, first let's one, do them
0: final but three let's
1: just we can do, yeah you can say it again just so we really get the message through here so my final three are why is change important number
0: one um oh that's like saying why is why is why is the atmosphere important well it's it's there i mean it doesn't really matter what you think about it um, the contrarian in me is tempted to say, actually, change is not that important. Football is more important. <laughs> but, no, I know. It, it's kind of yeah. there. And uh, I think, you know, do you want to be changed or do you want to change? And I think you, you touched upon something similar with with leading the current or surfing the wave. So I'll use all of that.
1: I like that. Do you want to be changed or do you want to change?
0: Mm, it's like, like making... a T-shirt. Right. Sounds like something you find in in uh, Venice, California, on a a bracelet.
1: (laughs) Right, it's one of those taglines. Okay, so number two then. Why do you think change is so hard and what is one advice you wish you could give to people that you've learned from your own experiences of embracing change?
0: So I'm always careful to say that I can only talk about my own experience. Uh, I believe too often we we believe that there's a kind of recipe to be learned mm. one of my in my book i talk about james macklemore um, who drove drunk in florida and invented the whopper burger for burger king and of course there's no learning in that there's no like i mean if you drive drunk tonight you'll just get a dui or right or, or god forbid do... a crash right. yeah no you, so you can't repeat it but you can talk about it so i think in my journey. I was always worried. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that I would fail at every step of the way. And I think that's still there. And then I talked to David loughly who wrote the new um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo book, uh, uh, Girl in the Spider's Nest, Lisbeth Salander book. And he said, a sign of successful people is that they have that kind of disaster thinking. I mean, that's what he said. All the all the famous, uh, important, successful people that I've met, they've had that kind of constant disaster scenario looming in their head. What if I fail? What if it all falls apart? I'm no good. I'm not gonna. And I I think that's a good driver to have. So, to use another Venice T-shirt slogan, you know, there's surprising wisdom in those cliches. But feel feel the fear and do do it anyway. I think it's a feel the fear. Do it anyway. Whether it's fear of flying, fear of the dark, fear of losing money, fear of starting on your own, fear of being alone, fear of New York, fear of small towns, whatever it might be, do it anyway.
1: Yeah, and I also do think that sometimes the fear is really just an indicator of what we really want to do. So we need mm, to tap into that yeah. fear. Yeah,
0: that's subconscious, though. That that's for our next. Episode about Jungian therapy.
1: <laughs> right, we have a few more to come. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah great. all
1: right, great, great answer. So, my final one, and this is more personal to me, but mm-hmm. I've coined my own word, which is retruthing, mm-hmm. and I think Retruthin. that that is retruthing. Like mm-hmm. That's really,
0: very Donald Trump. Though, yeah,
1: well, this is, this is my word now, so don't try mm-hmm. and give it to him. But it's, okay. I, it's a way of just uh, retruthing means that looking at at things from a new perspective and just Mm. always finding new ways of thinking about things. And I think that's like the base of finding happiness, new realities. Um, Mm. And Mm. so I will like you to re-truth something in your world, in our world Mm. right now.
0: To re-truth. Okay. Um, Off the top of my head, I would say and I don't know if there's so much as re-truth as a reprogram, but most things that are uh, presented as zero-sum games usually aren't in the long term. You know, us versus them, uh, country X versus country Y, uh, running out of resources. I mean, very few things are zero-sum games. So zero-sum thinking winners versus losers is really a way of implanting anxiety and belligerence mm. into the world it's it's um uh, it's a um it's a way of dominating other people so i i think you should never accept somebody else's zero-sum way of thinking you should always challenge that and you should force yourself and one of the ways that i did it in my life that i retruth. was was in love. I thought for a long time that love was a zero-sum game, and it made me jealous, and it made me envious, and it made me bitter. So I'm constantly reminding myself that love is not a zero-sum game. You can give an infinite amount of respect, love, compliments. You You can help other people all the time without it hurting you in any way, and I think you should, and I will.
1: I love that. And that makes me think of another quote that I'm just in love with, which is, a candle loses nothing from lighting another candle. And hmm. Anything, it just gets lighter in the room. So that's something I always used to think about in those terms.
0: Yeah, so, it's a beautiful, that's a simpler metaphor right. than the long-winded answer you got from
1: me. <laughs> no, but that's like, that, that's like such a great return thing. Like, why do we always have to battle against each other? Why can't we just come together and see... Like you, yeah. Yeah, like you said, you, you lose nothing from helping other people, seeing things from their perspective. So mm. thank you for that retreating. I'm adding it to the list. And Great. Uh, thank you so much, Magnus, for being on the show and just sharing some of your amazing wisdom. I'm truly honored. Um, My pleasure. <laughs> if we want to follow you, read you or hear you, what you have to say, how can we find you and how can we connect with you?
0: So I've left all of social media. I left Facebook in 2012, Twitter mm-hmm. in 2013. Uh, I was only on Instagram for about two weeks as an experiment, and then I left <laughs> l- LinkedIn last year. So uh, I'll, I, I have a couple of books out. No, I have a couple of books out. I have an email address, magnus at magnuslynkris.com, uh, and that's really it. But I think the books, the books are a way of packaging my... Seeing what works instead of just putting these snippets out in social media, finding thoughts that might have some bearing and forced me to think through them, wow. to retruth them.
1: Wow. How can I just add another question? How do how do you sure. feel? How does it feel to live in a world with no social media?
0: Um. Yeah, it feels a bit like living you know, in the 1990s, which wasn't so bad. It
1: was a great time. I was eight yeah. at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it were. I was. I was. I was 18, I think. No, what was I in the 90s? I was a 20-something. Oh, I crazy. had a rock band. I had a f- novel that nobody wanted to publish. I was a miserable business school student, and there was no social media. Wow. And um, yeah, so that I, I feel like I'm in my mid-20s.
1: Yeah, and by the way, all of you who are like maybe 18 or 20 or that around that age, remember Magnus felt miserable and felt like he wasn't going nowhere, anywhere. Mm. He was in his 20s, so it's it's part mm. of that life. When you're in that yeah, age.
0: 18, 17 to 27 are the most difficult years in a person's life, I mm-hmm. believe, depending, of course, on external circumstances. But normally, that's a time of just deep awesome. angst and horror, and I was, I was deeply miserable. Everything sucked. And if people want to talk to me about that and want to get my version of how I got out of it, they are welcome to get in touch because that, that is an under Appreciated part of life's difficulty those years Mm -hmm. we we usually glorify and say you're young you should be happy you should be free but I was an old miserable fart in my 20s so I'm young yeah
1: I'm younger like oh you're supposed to be happy you're supposed to feel this way Mm -hmm. and you have everything you know figured out for yourself and why are you complaining Mm -hmm. that's even making it even worse because
0: yeah 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 I think I think so so we I mean yeah, we, we could. I mean, I uh, I've always I, I've, I've always felt misunderstood, but in the twenty in my 20s, it was even worse because I was misunderstood and like failing at most things. That's how it felt. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this self image that I'm ugly and that sort of helped me a little bit, I think but I can only imagine how horrible it would be if you're actually not ugly but attractive and your self-image and I've met so many people who have who have talked about that the gap between their internal view and what the world sees them as being oh you're young you should be happy you're beautiful you should be out and about you're you're this you're that and I don't think you get so much advice in your 20s it's just awful I wish I I wish I wish people would give me more advice now when I'm in my 40s. Um, you know, yeah, 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 but they don't do that it anymore. Hard. Yeah, yeah, but like when you're 40s, you don't, you're like, yeah, whatever. But it's it's nice to have a conversation with people in your 40s. Uh, and you took it for granted in your 20s and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Therese, it's been a pleasure and I wish you the best of luck. And um, uh, I hope we get to speak on this podcast in the future again.
1: Thank you so much and like since you said that of course we're going to have you back. Now people will expect it. So Thank you. <laughs> Keep in touch and have a glorious day.
0: Bye Chris. Thank you.
1: Right. you. Ciao. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening today and I really do hope that you felt inspired by it my and Magnus talk. And since we did talk some about being hijacked, I really just want to reference that episode I was listening to yesterday, which is a podcast called EO Fire by John Lee Dumas. And this particular episode was number 1629 with Carrie Oberbrunner. So if you want to go listen to it, it's EO Fire episode number 1629. And then also, since we did touch upon the importance of being able to say no, I just recently read this book and I completely consumed it and loved it. And I really needed to learn all this. And the book is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursue of Less. And it's written by Gregory, sorry, Greg McCowan. So Essentialism by Greg McCowan. I will also include a link in this episode so you can find it. But I would encourage anyone to read it because it will help you both in your business life, your personal life, in your just pursuit of life in general. So... With that said, thank you so much for being here today again and I hope to talk to you again soon and if you did enjoy it, please share with friends and family and head over to my podcast Hey Change and rate, review and subscribe because your feedback means the world. So take care and I'll talk to you again soon.